So I'll start uh, this talk uh, this morning. Great to see everyone uh, this morning, or for those of you who are in Europe, folks in Berlin this afternoon. Uh, I'll start uh, this talk this morning with, this afternoon, with uh, a very familiar story from the Pali Canon about uh, Venerable Ratapala, who was uh, one of the, Bo the Buddha's uh, disciples, dear disciples. Uh, Ratapala was a young man from a very uh, wealthy family, a very well-to-do family, and really had a, a very good life, the good life. He had the good life uh, foreshadowed for him coming from his family. But as a young man, uh, after he became 18, uh, he decided he wanted to be a monk, and uh, uh, his parents weren't too, too keen on that idea. Uh, it took them a while before they gave their consent. Uh, you know, their, their thinking was, you know, you've got a great life ahead of you, you know, uh, in terms of all the uh, material things that you could possibly want. Uh, why don't you uh, continue on with that life? And it took a while for them to give their consent to become a, a monk in the Theravada or Buddhist tradition. Uh, you need to uh, be 18 and you need to have your parents' consent. You actually need to have your parents' consent no matter how old you are. Uh, we had somebody from our group that some of you know, uh, Bill, who uh, became a monk at Wat Metta a number of years ago. He's still a monk there. Uh, and Bill was well into his 30s, almost 40, and he had to get his folks permission uh, to, to become a monk. So finally, somewhat begrudgingly, Ratapala's uh, parents gave him uh, uh, permission, and he became a monk and studied with the Buddha and practiced with the Buddha and, of course, became an arhant. Uh, and, uh, Sometime after he became an arhant, uh, one of the kings uh, came to visit uh, the, uh, the monastery where uh, Ratapala was living and practicing. And uh, you know, he, he asked Ratapala, you know, why did you, why did you become a monk at such a young age? You know, a lot of times people become monks when they're older, you know, and they've kind of, you know, lived a good life and they've come more towards the end of their life, and now. You know, maybe they want to kind of pursue a more spirit, a spiritual uh, life. Why did you do it as such a young man? And, uh, and, and Ratapala said, well, I, I saw from a young age that, uh, that the world is swept away. The world does not endure. Uh, and he proceeded to give a very seminal teachings of the Buddha, the four Dhamma summaries. Uh, I'll just read. And, and, uh, and in the handout of the Sutta, the whole story of the Sutta, uh, I'll post it, but I'll just read that one particular passage where he said, Great King, there are four Dhamma summaries stated by the Blessed One who knows and sees worthy and rightly self-awakened. Having known and seen and heard them, I went forth from the home life into homelessness. Which four? The world is swept away. It does not endure. This is the first Dhamma summary. The world is without shelter, without protector. This is the second Dhamma summary. The world is without ownership. One has to pass on, leaving everything behind. This is the third Dhamma summary. The world is insufficient, insatiable, a slave to craving. 
This is the fourth Dhamma summary. So the first summary is one of the most well-known uh, uh, passages or one of the most well-known statements uh, from the canon. The world is swept away. It does not endure. Uh, and of course, what the Buddha is saying here, what the teaching is saying, is that the world is impermanent. Uh, all things, uh, all conditioned things are subject to impermanence. They arise, they change, they pass, they don't last. When the Buddha uses this term world, it's, a, it's an interesting term because it really sort of has uh, multiple meanings or two primary meanings. Uh, one meaning of the world are the conditioned things of the world. So all the different material things, all the different circumstances of the world, uh, you know, what we used to sometimes call, uh, you know, in translating it into modern terms, you know, jobs, relationships, and apartments, uh, all these things of the world are impermanent, they don't last, they don't endure. Uh, but when the, the, in the teachings, uh, the term the world is used, it also means, uh, it means the things of the world, but it also means all the experiences of the senses. All the sense experiences make up the world, and all of our sense experiences don't last. They, uh, they arise and they change and they pass. So all the beautiful tastes and all the beautiful smells and uh, all the beautiful sensations that we have in the body, they arise and they change and they pass. And they're, they're utterly impermanent and inconstant. Uh, and of course, it's not just the sense experiences, it's the sense doors through which these experiences come. So, uh, you know, our capacity to hear and to see and to sense changes and eventually passes over time. Uh, the body itself uh, is impermanent uh, and uh, changes and uh, as we chanted or as I chanted, is, sub is subject to illness and aging and death. Uh, so uh, the world is swept away. It does not endure. The things of the world, uh, the experiences, all the sense experiences, uh, uh, change and pass. Uh, they don't endure. The second summary, the world is without shelter, without protector. So, you know, we can try as we might to try to protect uh, our possessions uh, and try to protect the body, and we should uh, try to protect the body and take good care of the body, but, but ultimately uh, the world and the body and all of the experiences that we have are without shelter. We can't protect them from their inevitable fate, which is to pass. But try as we might, try as we might, try as we might. You know. I mean, you know, uh, this teaching, of course, is particularly, particularly uh, cogent these days when we've seen how many of the things of the world uh, have been swept away and how things that we thought were uh, you know, we were protected from, like some of like the illness that we've seen in the world, uh, uh, that we are without shelter. The world is without ownership. One has to pass on, leaving everything behind. You know, all these possessions, all these material things, these relationships, uh, all of our different sense experiences, uh, we think that we own them, but we don't really. 
you know. And of course, the ultimate realization comes when we consider uh, what happens at the end of life, you know. We can't take any of these things with us, including the body, including all of our material things. Uh, so, you know, you know so we, we come to understand this, that uh, all these things that we hold on to so tightly, you know, uh, with the idea that they actually belong to us, don't really. And, you know, ultimately, uh, we don't own anything. Uh, and then finally, the world is insufficient, insatiable, a slave to craving. Uh, and, 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 you know, this is, this is a particularly important uh, uh, understanding for us to develop, is that, uh, that we can never find a lasting happiness through conditioned things. That conditioned things, if it's the beautiful tastes or the beautiful uh, 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 sights or sounds, uh, if it's the relationships, if it's uh, uh, the experiences of the body, uh, they can never uh, bring a lasting happiness because they're impermanent and they have to constantly be replenished. They have to constantly re be replenished. So, you know, the world is insatiable. It can never find uh, a lasting happiness. The happiness is that we find in conditioned things, in material things, and uh, different satisfactions can't bring us a lasting happiness you know, because they will pass. Uh, and if we try to find happiness in these things, uh, we'll, we'll ultimately uh, be a slave to craving because we'll just keep wanting what we can't truly have and own uh, and the things of the world are just like water uh, uh, that we try to hold in our fingers. So, uh, so much of the way that we tend to look for happiness is in the things of the world. Uh, we look for happiness in the things of the world and the different sense experiences. Uh, this is uh, said to be the way that the world lives. Uh, the Dhamma of the world is to look for happiness in uh, in these conditioned things, in these things that are swept away, and these things that can't bring us a lasting happiness. So, uh, the Buddha understood this, of course, like Ratapala. He was uh, he was a young prince and and had uh, and had access and, and uh, to the good life and and the things of the world, and he came to have a realization that these things were not going to last, and. He wanted to know if there was a, another way of living, another Dhamma, not the Dhamma of the world, uh, but another Dhamma that he could find, another way of living. Uh, so, uh, so, and this is of course what Ratapala uh, also sought, was a different way of living. So, you know, we could, one way we could think about this is, uh, you know, living our lives, uh, uh, in a different way, not looking for happiness and satisfaction in life in conditioned things, or looking less for happiness in life in conditioned things and material things, but more uh, by living in a, a more spiritual way. So, of course, as uh, a monk, Ratapala uh, chose to, to give up uh, most of the conditioned things 
And, you know, and this is what, you know, that king was saying to him, how could you give up all that stuff, you know? And essentially, Ratapala was said, well, those things that I had were very limited, and I wanted to live my life a different way. I wanted to live uh, along spiritual lines. So, so, you know, as lay people, you know, very few. I mean, Bill was really one of the only students that I've ever had over the years that became a monk, uh, probably the only one, I guess, uh, We've had other have had other students over the years that have have uh, gone on to live in monasteries and have uh, you know really practiced great renunciation of the 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 ways of the world the, the dhamma of the world uh, you know for for most of us it's really a question of of degree and priority you know to what extent are we going to follow the ways of the world and look for happiness in that which is swept away and that which can't bring us shelter, uh, that there is no shelter for that which we don't own, uh, to what extent are we going to follow the ways of the world, to what extent are we going to follow a different dhamma, are we going to live along spiritual lines. You know, when we talk about, you know, the dhamma, it's really a way of living, you know, it's a way of living, uh, the way the Buddha teaches it. It's not the way that it tends to get taught in the world, uh, a lot of the way, you know, and of course, as many of you know, this is one of my pet peeves, uh, you know, the way the Dhamma tends to get taught, or the principles of the Buddha, things like mindfulness, get, tend to get taught are more along the lines of, uh, well, we're going to follow the ways of the world, and these teachings are going to help us do that and suffer less, you know, but it's not really what the Buddha taught. The Buddha taught a way of living, a way of living. You know, we're all, of course, you know, seeking to understand to which, what priority we want to live along spiritual lines. Uh, most, most beings are following the ways of the world. Uh, to a large extent, we're following the ways of the world. To a large extent, I'm following the ways of the world in looking for happiness in things, in conditioned things, in sense experience. One of the ways that we used to like to talk about it a lot was in getting and being, getting and being. It's a phrase, it's a phrase that the, the, the Thai Ajahn, Ajahn Buddhadasa, used to use a lot to describe this way of living in which we follow the ways of the world. I want to get stuff, I want to make money, I want to become somebody, have some kind of notoriety, have some kind of uh, self-image that I can find satisfaction in. You know. So. You know, the question is for us, to what extent are we going to follow the ways of the world? To what extent are we going to follow uh, uh, and live our lives along spiritual lines? You know, I think one of the things that has been so noticeable for me, you know, it's like in our culture, you know, in America, people have a lot of stuff, you know, and, you know, there's a certain satisfaction, there's a certain happiness that comes from following the ways of the world and getting and being, you know. Uh, you know, and then over the last year, you know, a lot of people that have a lot of stuff have had a lot of stuff tear, torn away from them and all the things that they could do and wanted to do and, uh, you know, in order to find happiness were torn away from them. And, you know, for all of us that's happened, uh, these things were swept away, you know, in this tidal wave of a pandemic, you know, and what's been so clear to me is that you know, our capacity to be able to, uh, to, to manage this time depends largely on to what extent do we have the ability to live along spiritual lines. 
you know, and if we've been living our lives in which we've been looking for happiness strictly in things that are conditioned and that become swept away, you know, it's very, very difficult, you know, uh, if we don't have some kind of a, a spiritual dhamma, a way of living, and it doesn't, doesn't have to be Buddhism, you know, it could be whatever your, your you know, your spiritual trip is, but, you know, uh, you know, this is, you know, these are the times when we need, we need this, you know, uh, you know, but it's not just this time, of course, you know, we need it when we're going to be sick and aging and dying, and we need it really in order to find a greater happiness, you know, the, the, you know, living life along spiritual lines, the Buddha said, is a greater happiness than the happiness of the world. But, you know, even in his time, you know, people thought he was nuts. You know, he was nuts for, for living the way that he did. You know, I mean, I always like what Tanisara Bhikkhu wrote, you know, about the Buddha. He said nowadays he'd be considered like a flake, you know, a complete nut, you know, for, for living the way that he did. So what the Buddha's Dhamma and the, the, the way of living along spiritual lines that the Buddha taught and that we seek to practice to the extent that we seek to practice is, uh, is looking for happiness, uh, uh, happiness that's, uh, that's different than the happiness that's found in getting and being, which is, there's a certain happiness, but it's a limited happiness. It's a happiness that we find in how we live, specifically in the quality of our actions and uh, you know, it's really, you know, I mean, sometimes it's in big actions that we take, but it's really in the quality of our actions as we go through each day. You know, it's the quality of our actions as we go through each day. How do we go through each day? How do we go through each day? Uh, this is what determines our happiness. You know, in the chant, uh, you know, which the Buddha said is a chant for frequent recollection, you know, a chant that we should chant every day. You know, I'm subject to sickness, aging, death. I'll be separated from all that's dear and appealing to me. That's okay, because your happiness is found in your actions. Whatever you do is going to determine your happiness in this life. Uh, specifically, the quality of your actions, or as we oftentimes say, the skillfulness of our actions as we go through the day. And you know, I kind of want to emphasize that because when we think about actions and the way we live, we tend to think, well, I've got to make major changes. I've got to start living my life differently, you know, in terms of taking significant actions and major changes, and I have to quit my job and, you know, end this relationship or whatever. Uh, but really, it's, it's, you know, and sometimes those things do factor into living our lives along spiritual lines, but... Uh, you know, ultimately it comes down to how we go through each day. Um, so, uh, in the service of uh, providing some markers as we might think about this, uh, uh, I thought about three things. Uh, that in order to live our lives along spiritual lines uh, and to know this greater happiness, such as the happiness uh, that Ratapala found uh, by following the Buddha's Dhamma, uh, that we seek to go through each day with ease, with wisdom, and uh, in connection with the heart. Yeah. So, because we use these terms, living along spiritual lines, and those things can have, you know, all different kinds of meanings. You know, and well, we think it means I belong to a religion or whatever, but it's really a way of living and a way of being. 
you know, and, 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 and we can develop that in following the Buddha's path by going through each day with ease, wisdom, and in connection with the heart. So ease is a very important part of, 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 our, uh, of, of our path and the way that we live. Uh, so, you know, what this means, of course, is that, you know, this is where we're putting our priority on internal ease, not the ease that comes from external sense pleasure. You see the difference in the shift? So really, in so many ways, the shift is really key right here, is in where you're looking for ease. Are you looking for ease in the Netflix and in what's in the fridge? You know, or are you looking, you know, or if I, you know, if I make another, a little bit more money, I'll have more ease, or are we make, looking for ease internally? Because those things are all swept away. And then what happens when you're sick and aging and dying and you've been separated and there's a pandemic or whatever, you know? Uh, so, you know, it begins by, you know, looking less for ease and pleasure in external sense pleasures and uh, being more in the body. Uh, and having a center in the body and being connected to this quality of internal pleasure. Not external pleasure, not the pleasures that come from the things of the world, not these pleasures of the world, uh, but being connected to an internal pleasure. You know? So this is, this is really essential to, uh, to living life along spiritual lines. You know, it all starts with the body. It all starts with the body. It all starts with the body. So, you know, so, you know, we develop this quality of internal ease, of tranquility, of internal grace uh, uh, in meditation. I really recommend walking meditation every day for at least five minutes, you know. You know, so you do your sitting meditation at some point. During, I mean, it doesn't have to be contiguous in terms of sitting and walking. I actually start the day with five or ten minutes of walking, and then I do my sitting. But uh, you sit, you develop ease, and you practice developing ease. You establish it in sitting, and then you practice. All right, now I'm going to go through this day. I want to go through this day with ease. You know, what the Buddha found was he kept getting pulled away by external sense pleasures. He wanted, you know, even when he was, he became a, a, a Brahmin, even when he became a, a monk, he kept thinking about all those pleasures of the world, you know. Well, why did I give up the kingdom? Ah, you know, he, and he couldn't stop thinking about that until he developed that internal ease. Once you have that internal ease and internal pleasure, then we're looking less for pleasure and ease and things outside of ourselves, you know, from those sources that are limited, you know. That, you know, if we try to find happiness in those things, then we're in, in competition with others who also want those resources. Yeah. So, you know, this spiritual path really begins with letting go of that search for things outside of ourselves that only lead to craving and competition with others and learning to find an ease and happiness within, in the body, which is available to you as a human being. You know, every, each of you has the capacity for internal ease and grace. That's not the problem. I mean, you know, part of the problem is you're, you, we don't meditate enough. The problem is you're not looking there for that. You know? I'm not looking there for that. I'm looking for ease and internal grace and a sense of well-being in external things. You know? This is what it means you know, to follow a different dhamma. 
to look within yourself, you know? To, and it's, you know, and again, it's ultimately, you know, there's so much more peace and tranquility. Once you have, you know, internal ease and, and, and a sense of pleasure, then there's much greater calmness because now I don't have to try to find it outside of myself. Now it's available to me even in the middle of a pandemic. Now it's available to me in the middle of dying because everybody here is going to die, you know, and get old. A few of us have already gotten pretty old, you know, dare I say. Uh, so, uh, so, you know, we, we develop this quality of internal ease. This is something all of you can do. This is something all of you can do. The world is swept away. This is why it's so important to remember that. You know, those things are going to be swept away, but you can still find an internal ease and a sense of well-being in this life. It's inside of yourself. So we develop it in the meditation. We practice connecting it into it in the walking, and then we maintain it throughout our days. We go through our days connected to this sense of ease and well-being. So regardless of how the world is, you know, regardless of what, what it is that we have in terms of external things, or regardless of what our relationships are, there's an internal ease. There's an internal ease. The second thing is wisdom. So I've already kind of spoken to this wisdom. You know, and here, you know, we're talking about this wisdom uh, uh, which, which includes knowing the truth that the world is swept away. You know, the world is without shelter. You know, the world is without ownership. The world is swept away. The world can't bring, the things of the world can't bring a lasting happiness. You know, so this is the wisdom that we seek to remind ourselves with and be connected to as we go throughout our days. We remain connected to and understand this truth of sickness, aging, and death, and separation. That's why the Buddha said you've got to reflect on these things every day. Reflect on these things every day, because if we don't, you, you then you start looking outside of yourself for happiness. You, you become more inclined to think that the world can bring you a lasting happiness, that the things of the world can bring you a lasting happiness, even though that they can, and they're insufficient. They're insufficient. They can't bring a lasting happiness. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know. sometimes there's this sentiment, like during the pandemic, that we have, and I know I've had it many times, why is this happening? This shouldn't be happening. No, this is exactly what happens. You know? This is exactly what happens. This is the ways of the world. Maybe it's a blatant example of that, but it's the way that the world is. You know? It's the way that the world is. reminds me of the story of the teacher in the insight meditation tradition, well-known teacher, you know, after a class one day somebody went out over to him and said, can you give me a mantra? And he said, look, you know, we don't, we don't have mantras in insight meditation. And the guy was like insistent, can you give me a mantra? He says, look, we don't have mantras. Then he asked a third time. Classically, if you ask the third time, that's when you get it. So he said, can you give me a mantra? And the teacher looked at him and said, it's always something, you know? It's always something, right? So, you know, this is wisdom. You know, with wisdom, we're not looking for happiness in the world in places that can't bring us a lasting happiness. You know? It's just the truth of the way things are. You know? 
That's why, you know, they asked Ratapala, why did you become a monk? Well, the world can't bring me a lasting happiness. I was looking for a greater happiness. We don't have to be monks to, to live along spiritual lines and incline ourselves more to looking for a happiness that transcends the happiness that's temporary, that comes from things that don't last, that get swept away. And then the third thing is the heart. And, you know, and, 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 when, and when I'm thinking of the heart here, I'm thinking primarily of intention, right? Intention. Uh, you know, everything starts with intention. Uh, we use intention to connect to the heart and to stay to the heart. So, you know, if we want to be able to meet the day from the place of the heart, it has to start with intention. So ease, wisdom, intention. So this process of developing this intention as we go through our days, which is a little bit different than saying, well, I'm gonna go through every day with loving kindness and compassion, and I'm gonna meet every day with loving kindness and compassion. What we're saying is have the intention, have the intention, learn to develop that intention, learn to maintain that intention. That's what we're doing in meditation. It's like you start with meditation, all right, you know, I don't want to meditate. All right, let me meditate with compassion. Let me meditate with loving kindness. Practice, ah, I don't feel anything. I don't feel anything. You keep doing that, you know, and you keep learning to set intention over time. Gradually, the meditation becomes wholehearted, you know. So, you know, if you keep setting intention that's skillful, gradually the head will connect you to the heart. You know, so your job is to, is to set the intention. The, that's already in the heart. You know, loving kindness and compassion are already in the heart. You know, how do we live along spiritual lines? We maintain a sense of ease, we, we, we cultivate wisdom, and we have the intention to meet the day with loving kindness. When there's suffering, to meet, the, meet our experience with compassion. When we experience the goodness in life, to relate to it with joy, with gratitude. So we, we continue to develop this intention to take action in support of our wish to have happiness of heart. To have happiness of heart. You know? So can I have the intention today, 28 March, to uh, take action in support of my wish to have happiness of heart. My wish to know true happiness, a happiness that's not swept away happiness that's not swept away. So can we begin to have that intention? Because it all has to start with that intention. If the mind is saying, I'm looking for happiness today in conditioned things, what am I going to do today so that I can find happiness in things that get swept away? Which is, that's the inclination of my mind. You know, my mind is, you know, at 11.30, you know, 5.30 in Europe, when this, when this class is over, my mind's going to say, how can I find happiness today in things that are swept away? What's going to be on TV? What things can I eat? You know, what can I do to find happiness in things that are conditioned? You know? So you know, my job isn't so much to, to figure out what I need to do in order to live along spiritual lines. My job is to start asking the questions, right? What can I do today? so that I can uh, have a happiness of heart, so that I can know true happiness. I'm going to have this intention. I'm, I can have this, let me have this intention today. You know, that understanding is already in the heart. 
And, you know, that happiness is already there in the heart. You know, that happiness is already there in the heart. True happiness is already there in the heart. You know, we're just not looking for it. Uh, we're looking for happiness in the, in the world, in the happinesses of the world. And we're not uh, inclining ourselves to take action that's going to be in support of that happiness. In support of that happiness. The happiness inside. What can I do? What actions can I take today so that I know the happiness inside? The Dhamma inside, the light within. What can I do so that I know the happiness inside? I have the intention today to take action that's going to bring about my knowing the happiness inside so that I can connect to the Dhamma inside and the light within. So we develop this intention to take action that will lead to this happiness. <clears throat> 